All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. How's it going, everybody? Thank you for joining us here on another episode of Dropping the Gloves. You know, it's not often, Tim. I got a guest coming on who I I think I have a cool story. You know, undrafted free agent, rags to riches story, makes the NHL, all-star game. Did you know I made the all-star game, Tim? Did you know that? You brought it up once or twice. All-star game appearance, MVP, no big deal. And then this guy comes along. And he just one-ups me, and it's fantastic. I love it because there's not enough stories like this. But Aaron Volpati's joining the show. Aaron, thanks for joining us, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. Good to meet you officially. Officially. And officially. Don't you have a movie? So I don't know if is that I don't know if that's one up really. Well, it's gosh, there's <laughs> been some recent events with this movie. It's a pain in my no, not yet. I do have a book though, not as good okay. as yours. My book, it's funny. People they'll ask, You got a book? And I'll go, no, don't buy it because it's garbage. I don't like it. So, Did you write I, it? I wrote it. Well, I had a ghostwriter yeah. help me along the way. And he would send me just chapters. And I would read the chapters and I would say, these suck. I don't like them. This doesn't <laughs> sound like me. And so then I would go ahead and write it. And it would just went back and forth. But you know when you write a book and I was a certain person, you know, I was coming off the show everything was great all-star game. And I think I had an inflated ego and I was just totally. feeling myself and I write a book and then two years go by and I go, I'm a completely different person. Right. And I'm like, why? So people read that book and they go, Ooh, John like loves to do this and that and this and that and the other. And that's not how I am yeah. at all. Now I'm just like Catholic seven kids engineer. Yeah. So, yeah. I- uh, that was a big challenge for me too with my book was just I didn't want to ever be hey look what I did look at me and that was or you know just opening up and being vulnerable in general because we're not taught that as a as men but in the hockey world right and so there was two kind of twofold there of the, the challenges I guess with it there's a cat in the background there's a cat cruises by well let's talk about your book though because it's interesting you played a hundred games in the show. Who yeah, cares about 114 whatever. or whatever? Yeah. Who cares about Aaron Volpati? Why why do I pick up your book if you're just a fourth line schmelt like me? Are you just trying to collect a quick buck? Like what what's so interesting about Aaron Volpati? No, I mean at the end of the day I did this to I'm like I can help people with this and empower people with, you know, the power of of the mind really. And I think this is probably where our stories maybe overlap a little bit. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I was never supposed to play in the NHL. Like I really wasn't that good, you know, I, above average minor hockey player. Sure. But I played house hockey at like 14 and me too. Got, yeah. got cut from select teams, all that stuff, uh, scored one goal my first year in junior a, and I was just a pure fighter and I'm not a big guy, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what I did. And so I was never supposed to play in the NHL. And then this burn injury happened. And so, yeah, really, like, if you want to talk about odds stacked against you, I mean, again, I don't like to 
maybe toot my own horn, look what I did, but more the messages. If I can play in the NHL, believe me, you can do anything you want. Cause it was was, funny. I was my, my parents are visiting from Canada, Michigan now, and we were at dinner and my mom goes, you know, I think your older brother could have made the NHL. He was a really good hockey player. And I had to stop her in her tracks. And I said, Jamie was good. He was like, I think people just think it's somewhat easy to make the NHL where they just see people on the TV and like, okay, if I really work hard, I can make it. No, you can't. There, there takes a certain level of talent and adverse, like overcoming adversity. And you have to have, so I, I know you're selling yourself short where it's like, Okay, I, I had one goal and this and that. Your your college coach, I, I read, he said you were the the hardest hitter he's ever seen, ever. That so was you, my thing. I could always hit, but yeah. that's hard to do. That's yeah. very difficult to do. So you you had some talent. A lot of people have talent, but you have to work with that. It takes a lot of mental strength to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to score goals. This is how I'm going to make it to the NHL. Did right. you ever see guys? We talked about this with Michael Pizzetta. Did you ever see guys who were just incredibly talented and they just yeah. didn't have the work ethic? Oh, all the time. And I think that's what, you know, how, how many guys did you play with that had loads more talent than you and they never made it, right? Because I think that filter as you move up starts, it starts getting like this, starts getting smaller and smaller. And then it's like, okay, what else do you do? Right? Yeah. You got to do something. You got to do something else. And sometimes it was just, are you willing to do what other people don't want to do? Like, I didn't really want to fight guys that were six, five and 240 pounds. I'm like six, one, two Oh five. So I don't really want to do that, but I know I'm not going to make it, you know, (laughs) the other way. So, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a tough one, but you have to, you have to have something else. Um, because the guys with talent, when thing, I think that's the big thing. When things start getting hard, then what, then what, and then they fall off because it's hard. And like you said, that journey might take, I was 25 when I turned pro. So that journey might take a while. Yeah. And I think a lot of, I think now, I don't know what you see where you guys are, but it it's a full-time job for these kids at like 10 years old. And no wonder they they're burnt out at 18, you know, and it's a full-time job from like such a young age. I don't know. Like that's a whole other topic, but yeah, you can have all the talent in the world, but when you're just like, man, I'm, I'm out, you know, I've, I've, I see that all the time. Well, because it is a job. I think you, you nailed it where it's not fun anymore. And you know, I know we're throwing stones, but you, you just look at the way people take, they approach hockey nowadays. They're they're everybody. They have a, a trainer. They have a nutritionist. Yeah. They have all this stuff. 24 seven mental coaches. I didn't have any of that junk. No, there's yeah, exactly. And there's like non sanctioned leagues here for eight year olds. And it's like, Whoa, what are we doing here? You know, and it's I, a lot. I, and I, I say this to like people I work with and, and everything where, you know, if you, when you're like 14 to 18, then it's time to like start getting obsessed. And if you want to do something, you have a window here, but you're like talking about eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds. Like, I, I don't know, just go have fun. You're a kid. And yeah, I think it's that's, impossible that's what's be- getting, it is. Cause then they, well, my, my son or daughter will fall behind. Yeah. And it's like, Hey, you and I played house hockey at 14. They'll be fine. Ex- yeah. But, but going back to your story, I'm looking at your stats, where you came from, how you developed. You went to Brown. You got the sweater on, obviously, bragging. Oh, yeah. I didn't um, realize that till now, yeah. <laughs> and Brown's a good school. It's it's a great yeah. Division One school. How do you – you did not put up points in the BCHL. No. And I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade because I didn't do it with MTU. I was a stay-at-home defenseman. You're a forward. Yeah. How do you go from the Vernon Vipers where you're getting 18 points in 57 games to going to Brown and getting a scholarship? How does that work? Yeah, well, this is where the this is where the story, I guess, gets good, or it's like the meat of the story is yeah. when I really learned about the power of of the mind and and the visualization piece. So uh, I guess that it's a good segue. I'll just go right into it. So yeah. my sec my second year in Vernon, we lost out in the finals, and and back then, you know, this is twenty years ago, 
I don't know what the kids do now, but we would go party for a week. That's just what we did, right? They go train now. Yeah. And cry. <laughs> yeah. So it was like day two or three of this this bender. And I was always that guy that maybe a lot of us at a as a young teenager that, you know, you think you're invincible, doing stupid things. And I was always a pyro. So I was always messing around with gas and fire. And no again, kidding. part of it was I think we we chatted about this before jumping on here, but I was feed and I can reflect now and, and understand this, but I was just feeding a young ego, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be I was living up to that fighter stereotype, I guess you could say, where, hey, it's, you're the crazy guy. And part of it was, hey, I like the adrenaline and I like the attention from from maybe girls that comes of it or whatever. Right. It's mm-hmm. just you're just feeding a, an ego. Yeah. And and so that's what I did. And I thought I was invincible. And one thing led to another. And we were camping out in the bush, like I said, day two or three of this bender. And uh yeah, I was being basically doing a spin-off Molotov cocktails. So I was like basically blowing up uh beer bottles full of gas. And so not smart, obviously. Um, and I actually had two wine bottles full of gas. No and I was way. And I was walking around the party and I was like kind of getting everyone revved up. I had done this the year before and everything went up without a hitch and everything was fine. And I mean, it's all fine until someone gets hurt. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden I felt soaking wet. So I'm walking around and we'd obviously been drinking and um, yeah. And I'm like, I have a liter and a half of gas on me now. And I'm, I know there's a fire and I know I have gas and I know, Hey, I probably shouldn't get too close to this thing, but I didn't respect the dangers of, you know, gasoline or the gasoline vapors. They just kind of settle around you. And I think maybe five minutes or so went by and I'm like, I got to get this sweater off. Like I just reek like gas and maybe I didn't want to litter. Maybe I'm like, well, I'll just light the sweater on fire. But that gas is still all over me. Right. And so I keep what I think is a safe distance away. And I, you know, give the ground a little kick and it was just like, and, and up I went. And unfortunately I bolted and it, that fight or flight takes over and I just, and I was pretty quick. So I just shot out of the fire, just engulfed. I'm on fire. You can't put out a gas fire, which I didn't know at the time. Yeah. And, uh, I just couldn't get it out. And, uh, obviously did a lot of damage and finally people always ask me like were you in a lot of pain and you know that shock takes it's kind of like being in a fight you don't feel it in the moment right and uh, I just remember feeling really warm and in no pain there's this eerie sense of calmness to the whole thing and I feel like that's probably what dying feels like you know just Mm -hmm. peace I was warm and then all of a sudden finally I got hit from behind and the guys tackled me and started beating me with their jackets like everyone burnt their hands trying to put this thing out no kidding and uh so that's how it all that's how the journey really started for me so unfortunately we were out in the bush 30 minutes no sir 30 minutes from town no cell service um thankfully one of the guy's girlfriends wasn't drinking I piled in her car and we sped off to the hospital and uh yeah you want to talk about pain when that shock started wearing off uh, that burn injury is like nothing else. So at what I, point do you finally just, uh, you probably weren't composed the whole time. Cause it's a crazy, I can only imagine at what point do you just take a second when you're in the car driving to the hospital and you look down and you go, Holy, Holy moly, I'm going to yeah. die. That, that came a little bit earlier when I remember I got sat on a cooler. So I'm totally naked. There's yeah. nothing left of my clothes. They're all burnt off, uh, dirty burnt. And then I just remember, Again, being in shock and like looking at everyone's faces at the party and people were crying. People like had their nose covered because the smell of burnt skin is like nothing you've ever smelled. It's it's terrible. And so I'm like, okay, this must be bad. And I kind of meet their gaze and look down. And then I realize like, okay, this is serious. And uh, that's when I was like, whoa, like how about you know i didn't really comprehend the whole thing i just knew it was it was serious anyways i i run into the emergency room butt naked that that night at whatever time and then everything went black they knocked me out and then got airlifted to vancouver with medicine 
they with med- medicine. Yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, with medicine. Uh, I'm assuming because that's what <laughs> just <laughs> one punched you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, woke up in Vancouver, and and again, that's where the the journey really started. But so I I won't try and ramble on too much. But so when I about day three in the burn unit, um, the first few days were pretty foggy. I don't remember a lot. Um, but there's a procedure called debridement. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys are familiar with that, but it's basically, no. it's basically torture. They just like, they slice you open and they pressure wash your skin off and they got to keep the, those third degree burns clean for future skin grafts. <laughs> so you had to get that done every third. You're not awake for it. Because but. it starts to scab over or try to heal itself. The scar tissue just gets real thick, real fast. So they have to every third day take all that off. Aaron, um, oh my god, yeah, man, it, it's nasty stuff. And so I come out of this first debridement procedure because until then, no one really knew. They knew. I mean, there's only ten beds in the burn unit in British Columbia at that time. Like it's a ten worst burn. So we knew I'm pretty banged up, obviously. Yeah, but they don't know kind of to what degree. So I come out of the anesthetic from that first debridement. And then the doctor says, you know, you're obviously very lucky. This could have been a lot worse. Um, you're 40% second, third degree burns. Like you're going to need a lot of grafting. You're going to be in here for a while. So how old are you? And so I'm 19, almost 20. Okay. And so to your point, uh, I mean, this is a long-winded answer, but it's a, it's an important part of the story. No, yeah, think, it's great. Like, my NHL and my dream was just to go to college. That's what I wanted to do. You know, I wasn't, I didn't want to be naive and think about playing pro hockey because I really didn't have a reason to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, again, you, you've seen my stats in junior. They, I could, I didn't even talk to a, an NCAA scout until this point. So I'm like, but I could always hit. So I'm yeah. like, and I, I slowly added a layer to my game every year. I penalty killed my second year and then, my third year, I was like, maybe I can play on like the third line and just be that guy and get a scholarship. I mean, mm-hmm. Vernon was one of the best teams in the country. So that helped too. Mm-hmm. And so in my head, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapped like a money mummy. I can't move. And this doctor's laying this, you know, uh, this information to me. And, and I said, well, I have camp in, in three and a half months or whatever. So this is in like eight end of April. Yeah. And we have camp in like start of September, right? Or even before that. Yeah, August, end of August. Yeah. And uh I'll never forget his his face. He kind of just froze. And it was like one of this <clears throat> poor kid thinks he's gonna be playing hockey in a in a few months. And he's like, Listen, these recoveries take years, not not months. Wow. He's like, You're not gonna be playing hockey in a in a few months here. Uh maybe in a couple of years we'll look to get you in a pair of skates in a non-competitive environment kind of thing. Uh, but let's just focus on your recovery. It's you're going to be in here for a while and it's going to be a long road. And that was the dialogue. And so my career was over at, at that moment. I'm like, okay. I mean, I was just happy. I was going to make a full recovery. Yeah. Right. Um, but I was also on the other hand, you know, that identity gets taken away from you and, it's like, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? I mean, I was young, but hockey was all, you know. So right? what, and, like you talk about mental strength, like you're 19, you're not even fully mentally developed yet. Men don't get there until they're 25, 30. Like you, what well, do I you got thrust into that yeah. because of this, right? So what do you do? Do you just you have a good cry, you figure it out and then you like make a decision? Yeah. I mean, somewhat. So two weeks go by. And I was doing just that, you know, having a good, I mean, the pain pretty much just was the main thing you're trying to cope with. Cause it's like, again, the burn unit is not a good place. Uh, and I get a call from my coach two weeks in and he's like, Hey, I, you know, how you doing? And trying to find some sick humor and, and the whole thing. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, not great, been better. And he said, I, I was just talking to the assistant coach from Brown university and He's like, we're looking for this type of player. His exact words were, we want a guy to put the fear of God in the defenseman of the Ivy League. And my coach is like, I got the perfect guy for you. That's funny. There's just uh, there's just one problem, one major problem. He's uh, he's in the burn unit and the future doesn't look great. 
So my coach is like, they want to talk. You just call them. He's like, I know you got the time. And so I had a little laugh and my parents take down the number. Cause you got to remember, I, I'm full mummy. I like can't move. My parents hold the phone up to my ear and I talk to this coach from Brown. First time I've heard a Rhode Island accent, which was interesting. And he was, I don't know. You might know Danny Brooks. He, he scouts in, in NHL now, but mm-hmm. just, just a character. And it was left really open-ended. You know, he said, we're sorry to hear what happened. We wish you the best in recovery kind of thing. And, and that was kind of it. And I remember hanging up the phone. And again, you, I mean, you want to talk about getting emotional. I've like, I'm like, I've worked my whole life to talk to one of these guys. And I'm like, look where I am. Look what I've done to myself. I blew it. Yeah, I blew it. And then I just remember I started asking questions in my head. I'm like, okay, so, so why can't I play hockey? And there was a huge list of reasons why. Yeah. You know, infection was probably the biggest um, with burns. It's a, it's a major risk. And then the skin grafts were going to be very limiting, very painful. Just they're going to take years to heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had to wear a full body suit for two years. You can't sweat. So at the time, they're like, if you're going to have grafts to 30, 40% of your body, there could be complications there with heart rate and sweating, right? Because you burn through everything. And why can't you burns. sweat? Because you a third degree burn, you burn through everything. So it's so deep. You you can't so I can't feel my skin grafts because there's no nerves there. So nerve, nerve glands, sweat glands, everything. And so when your heart rate gets up, you need to sweat, obviously, right? And that's yeah. anytime you're so I was just, I think, under that cusp, maybe, but if you're over 50% grafts, there's major uh, complications there when your heart rate gets going. So, anyways. <laughs> there's this huge list of reasons why they're saying I can't play. And, and to your point, I just, and there's a, a lot of power, a lot of power in just making a, a choice and a decision. Yeah. And I said, I'm like, that's not going to be me. I don't accept this uh, diagnosis. And I, I really made the, my mentality was I'm willing to die before I give up on that. And I'm going to see it through and, and make sure this happens. And, and uh, that's where, People ask me, like, how did you discover visualization? And and this is how I didn't have a choice because I was bedridden in a hospital. I like all I could do is think all day. And prior to that, it was all, I mean, mostly dealing with the pain, but all the negative stuff that came along with that. Like, look, look, what's my life gonna look like now? Poor me, all these negative yeah. things, right? And- so do you think that it's funny? I, I'm religious. We have this thing in so a, a small mustard seed and it grows into a massive plant. Mm. Do you think that one phone call, even though it was just completely innocuous, open-ended, you didn't, did, if you didn't have that call, what happens to you? Yeah, I don't know. And I've thought about that and people have asked me that. And I, I, I don't think I would have came back. Yeah, I really don't. Um, so I always like to say, I mean, to that kind of related to that is that I, th- I think like all of us have a, a path or a map set out for us mm-hmm. in life. Oh, definitely. Right. And some people don't don't maybe don't believe that or they do believe that, but they can't navigate it because it gets hard at times and then they make a different turn. Um, but I think my point with that is that there's signs along the way, you know, on the <laughs> in life. And I've had a lot of them. And this is mm-hmm. the first, this was the first major one I had or like fork in the road, right? Where it's like, hey, they're dangling a carrot over here. Like, you know, maybe you should go down this one. It's going to be hard. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I, I think I probably, my life looks a lot different if I don't get that call. Well, you don't got some fancy jerseys hanging behind you. Right. That's for yeah, sure. No, there'll be maybe jerseys of... uh of you and uh, some other guys. <laughs> I'll send you a jersey. We'll get you. We'll get you some decent players right there. But let okay. Me, yeah, let yeah. me ask you. I have a quick question. Ahead, so, so yeah. okay. This is really fascinating. I want to hear more about the 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 mentality stuff because I want to remind the listeners that you're this decision point and you rejecting the doctor's diagnosis and the timeline. You're kind of taking it into your own hands. The NHL is still not even on your radar at this point. This no. is just to play college hockey, right? It's it's not even remotely on my radar. No. Um, and so it's funny, I actually did a podcast yesterday with it was called girls got girls, girls with graphs. So burn survivor community. And I told them and and I, 
always say this, like, I'm not necessarily advocating for people to defy doctors. I think the point is like, don't let an injury, maybe specifically a burn injury, don't let it define you or define the rest of your life because I almost did. And like you said, I don't have any of these behind me if, if, if I don't do that. Um, so, so going back to the visualization piece, I just started visualizing like, again, like all I could do is think. So all day long, I just, I started creating like a movie in my head and I just started imagining like a bunch of things. I imagined healing faster, like at a cellular level. Like I just imagine those graft areas getting smaller and shrinking and, and healing. Uh, imagine walking out of the hospital and then putting on my gear for that home opener, that game. And then I would just obsess over signing that commitment letter to Brown over and over and over and over again. And I would just start, I, I started reframing the pain. So I would just be like, this is your body healing. And I almost imagine like my body was like eating the pain, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. the mind's so crazy powerful. Like the pain started getting more manageable and I'm, I started feeling better. And I, people think I'm crazy when I say this, but I know I healed faster in the burn unit because of this. Um, and yeah, it, it, so, I mean, long story short, it, it worked and I ended up getting a scholarship to Brown. I mean, it's not technically a scholarship as you, you know, with the academic assistance or whatever I call it. I just say scholarship, but, uh, but Hey, that doesn't mean it was an easy road. Like, my body fought back with everything it had because mm-hmm. I, the doctors were right. I had no business, but I shouldn't have been playing hockey. Like if you would have seen like what I looked like under my gear that year, like people yeah. were like, what is this guy doing? Like I had open second degree burns still in under my gear. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know, man, I had, I had kidney stones the day after I got out of the burn unit. I had an appendectomy a week before training camp, they had to cut through my grass. So I had, I had every reason to quit and it was, it was hard. And I had a pelvis issue because the burns to my thighs were so deep that I had major stability issues with my pelvis. And I could, I was on crutches coming to and from the rink. And I'm, again, I had this mentality where I was, and this is when you could also get shot up with any painkiller you wanted. Yeah. So, I mean, that didn't hurt. Um, the torridol was flowing. The torridol was flowing for sure. Um, but anyways, they Brown comes to watch me. I I get a scholarship a few weeks later. Wow. And then that's why I only played 20-something games my last year in junior because I was holding on by a thread. I wouldn't have made it the whole year. Um, and uh, so to your point, Tim, so I go to Brown and I just had fun, man. Like I worked my butt off and and i was in shape but i was like you know college fourth line of the lineup sometimes they had my 10 points a year in 30 whatever games nothing crazy and yeah my perspective on life had also changed where i'm just like i i did it i reached my nhl and i'm just gonna go live it up and and have a good time and that's what i did and i was 24 years old in my junior year and still had never even thought about pro hockey. I mean, some guys were like, hey, you could go play in the SP or the CHL to say you did it. And I'm yeah. like, that didn't appeal to me really like to try. I, I took pre-med. So I was like, going to go that road. And my again, so I had another like kind of sign on this this map. My My assistant coach after my junior year was like, pulled me aside after the season and said, Hey, you ever thought about playing pro hockey? And I, I laughed. I was like, dude, I'm 24 years old and I I'm on the fourth line in college. Like, no, <laughs> I've never thought about it. Yeah. When he's like, I've never seen anyone hit the way you can hit. I think if you like really worked on your game, uh, I think you could have a solid like five, 10 year career in the American league and, you know, maybe even get a shot in the show one day. And I was like, wow, thank you. Uh, and I didn't really know what to say. And I went home that night and I kind of, again, I had this moment where I was like, Hey, ding dong. Like, what have you been doing these last <laughs> few years? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, man, if if I can do that and come back from this crazy burn injury to just even come back to play hockey, then why can't I play in the NHL? And that seemed to be 
an easier task than the burn injury. So I, again, I just made a choice. I said, I'm going to play in the NHL. Well, again, I think, I think men are wired that way. I, you need that dangling carrot, something to go for, because while you're, I, I did the same thing at tech. Tim always says, I make it about myself. I had my same assistant coach. He's like, Hey, John, you can't coach six foot eight. Like you got something other people don't have. Like, let's try to figure this out. Right. And you need that carrot to kind of go for. So you had it with the phone call with Brown. You had the assistant coach. You had obviously some foresight to give you that. You end up having a fantastic senior season. You light it up. You're, you're putting a point per game, a ton of PIMS for some reason. I don't know if you're just getting 10 minute misconducts or what. Yeah, so maybe the odd one, but mostly just I was I was killing guys in my last year. Like I'm 25 playing against 18 year olds. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was probably 215 my senior year and I like I just I mean there's more like I became obsessed and I had to go back to the visualization piece Mm -hmm. um so there's a reason that it that senior year was was so good Um, and then you get the call from Vancouver you're a free agent which is a benefit to you at this point right you're not tied to a team you're coming out people were probably salivating let's get this guy why Vancouver why pick that situation when the you knew their depth chart was insane I mean Part of it was money at the time because I had yep. none. <laughs> I had <laughs> negative money, you know, like my family was very working class. And uh, so Vancouver offered me a really good deal, two-way deal uh, compared to the other ones. The other ones were your, you know, your typical two-way uh, 60K in the American League minimum in the NHL. Yeah. And, and Vancouver was paying me a lot of money in the minors. So I, I'm not going to lie. That was a big factor. I didn't know how long like this career was going to, was going to last. Yeah. Um, so that was a big, big reason for it. Uh, they were, they were the first team to approach me. And I mean, the fact that it was my home province team didn't, didn't hurt. So those were the main factors for sure. But yeah, to your point, the being a free agent at, it, yeah, it, it was the best thing that could have happened because you know, I I think I had like six or seven or eight contract offers and no kidding. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's the cool part about the story. You know, at 24, I don't think anyone in the NHL even knew who I was. And then within six, seven months, eight months, uh, I was probably, again, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I, I went from no one knowing to everyone knowing. Yeah. And probably a top five NCAA free agent. Um, again, the points were, they weren't out of this world, but, but it's more when I had that complete package now. Um, again, I don't want to advocate for hurting people, but you know, I had this mentality, like get out of my way or get your head up. Cause I'm going here. Uh, and yeah, you're playing against younger kids. And I was just, you know, physically dominating and then having the points that just put that whole package together. So I got uh, want to fast forward a little bit. So you're playing in the A, you're getting some pro experience. What are the conversations like with uh, the NHL coaches? Your first call up, your first skate. Like what? What is that? Walk us through that. Yeah, that's a funny story because when I when I first started in the American League, I was slotted like top six because I had a good senior year. They signed me for a lot of money. I actually I played a great first couple games. Uh, had two assists my first games, hit a post on the power play. <laughs> uh, I fought Wade Brookbank, uh, which, you know, that's more like your weight class. And He's a tough kid. Tough dude, man. But so I remember it was like spur of the moment. I never did good with the square offs. I just, I struggled with those. But the spur of the moment, I kind of tagged him with one. <laughs> We're skating to the bench and he was real mad. He's like yelling at me, we're going again. And I was like, oh man, that was, I didn't know it was uh, him. No, we're not. <laughs> I didn't know it was him. I was like, I'm taking that win, man. Sorry. <laughs> I ain't fighting. I'm not squaring off with you. But anyways, I had a good first few games and I was like, wow, like, you know, I, I could really do this thing maybe in, in the NHL be not a top six, but maybe a third liner kind of thing. And, and then of course things start drying up and I, I, I just couldn't. And then I got back to the fourth line. You know how it is in pro. You're not going to produce. Like there's lots of guys that we can bring up that can. And so I just started fighting all the time and I did pretty well. And, but the reason that it's a, it's a little bit funny is because I was like the odd healthy scratch in the minors by game 10, 15, 20 and barely hold the lineup spot. 
but I had uh, this game in Abbotsford. I called it the double homicide. I had a few of them that year where I'd hit a guy. <laughs> he'd be out. <laughs> I'd hit a guy. He'd be out cold. Again, I'm not advocating for hurting anyone, but I got called up a week later um, and fought a guy, put him down. So they're both lying on the ice. And this is in Abbotsford. So all the Canucks brass is there. And you just leave the ice and unpack your gear and go to Vancouver after every knockout. Pretty much <laughs> in a way. But so I'm back in Manitoba. The coach calls me into his office. It was uh, Claude Noel. And him and I didn't really, we got into it a few times just so that the dynamic was the moose wanted way more from me. Cause they're like, we're paying you a pretty good salary here. Like, and they're paying some of it right in the minors with the being privately owned. Yeah. yeah. I think. Talk fighting. Like you're talking f- points, not fighting points. Right. Okay. They want points. They want production. Yeah. They're like, we're paying you a lot of money, like to, to produce and yeah. Vancouver, Vancouver and my agent are calling me. They're like, we love it. Like keep doing <laughs> what you're doing. And so I'm like, who the hell do I listen to? Vancouver. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, a, that's what my agent said. He's like, where do you want to play? Yeah. So anyways, this coach calls me in right before Christmas in the, in the, with the moose. And I'm thinking he's going to like, we're going to get into it again. And he's going to say, you're not playing tonight. I need more from you. And he kind of just shakes his head. He's like, pack your bag. You're going up to Vancouver. I was like, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> but that's how it all went down and went up and stayed up for about two months uh, my first year. And that was the year they went to the finals. So we had a stacked team. Yeah, that's the year they beat. I was with the Hawks game right. seven in overtime. That was crazy. Yeah. But let's. I, I don't want to skip past fighting because I, I obviously have been in a few fights myself. <laughs> You're not a big dude. You, you, you're a very efficient puncher. You have a piston for an arm where it just, you start and you don't stop. Um, how do you get that mentality? Because the way you fight, you're going to eat punches. Like you're, you're not playing defense, which is, I love fighting guys like that. Well, how, yeah. how do you approach a fight? Well, like you that? do. You're no, six and nine. Well, cause yeah, no one reaches me. So I'm like, let's do this. The only guy yeah, who could yeah. reach me was Frazier McLaren. He had these massive uh, arms, yeah. Yeah. but what, when you're going into a game and you're going to fight it, like you fought some heavies, like what's your mentality going into that? Yeah. Well, that started to change a little bit um, with the bigger dudes, especially. Yeah. Like, so I was, a, I boxed growing up. My dad was a gold gloves boxer. That uh, helps. So yeah. we boxed. I could throw both hands really well, mm-hmm. but yeah, I didn't have a lot of defense. And part of that was through junior when I was a fighter, not a lot of guys, had maybe the knockout power maybe like that they would in in pro right you're not quite a man it's not say you couldn't but i could get away with it and i won most of my fights because i would just yeah my face would look a little barked up but uh people didn't really want to hang in there and go shot for shot so i and then in college you don't fight so i i translated that uh into pro and it served me well for the most part but once i started fighting guys like revo and like Brad Staubitz and like, I don't know, all those kind of guys, right? Bigger, like even like a Brad Winchester, bigger. guys who are bigger than you. Yeah. And that's when, you know, I could list off a handful of them. But when I'm going shot for shot with Revo and he dings one off my helmet, I'm like, that's probably not the smartest thing. Because if he puts one here, I'm going to be sleeping. Yeah. So I went for the takedown. <laughs> but uh, so I had to get a little bit smarter. Um, but when I fought guys, you know, Brownie or, or Toots, those guys, and I go shot for shot with them, I got away with it. I mean, I say that in a not knocked out, got away with it, but mm-hmm. man, those guys were bulldogs and I don't, you know, I almost found the smaller guys in a way harder to fight because I say that always. I, I couldn't, yeah, they're, Cam Jansen. they're, they're like it. this and they're punching up. Yeah. Where you as a big guy, unless you sneak in an uppercut, I mean, some of my best fights were with with bigger guys because I would kind of like I would just I'd I'd hold them, but I'd protect myself and I'd let them ding a few off my helmet. And as long as I don't get hit with an uppercut, I could even like kind of like go down on a knee and then come up real quick mm-hmm. and they don't expect it. You know, I tagged a, I remember I fought Andy Sutton and I Andy tagged Sutton. him tagged him with one of those and uh yeah, I don't know. It was just, 
I guess my point is I, I definitely had to get a little smarter. Yeah. As time went on, because the first couple of years pro, I was like, I I didn't mind the, the role. I liked it. And I'm like, bring it on. I, I like black eyes and live that fighter stereotype. But, you know, after that summer we had with those guys that that lost their lives and and then I started thinking like I started thinking more about my health and I'm like, I've had a lot of concussions and I'd rather not get punched in the head by, you know, someone that's six, five, two forty. like mm-hmm. what's that going to do for me later? So I started thinking about that more and tried to get a little smarter. Um, but that's when, that's when it started getting tough, you know, with the anxiety stuff as a lot of guys, will, you know, I don't know how you felt, but oh, big time. Yeah. I, I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. It could have even been been yours. It was someone's, but they they said it perfectly. It was like, imagine the bully in your school comes to you early in the morning and he's the biggest, toughest kid in school and says, hey, I'm taking you out back and the whole school is going to be watching. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel all day? You're thinking about that. And, you know, it's you get anxious about it. And that's kind of the, it's similar in the NHL, you know okay, I get in a fight with whoever and then right away in my head, I can usually make it through that next game. But right after that game, I'm like, oh, I, I got Revo in, in two days. Guess what? I'm thinking about that for yeah. two days. Well, that's right? the maddening part about the NHL or pro hockey. It's like you can go to the calendar and be like, all right. For yeah. me, it was like I got McIntyre, McGrath, yeah. or <laughs> McLaren, like murderers row. And it's like, oh, jeez. It's, I'd rather not do that, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm going to say no to that guy. That guy, yeah. I'm going to lose my job, so I have to say yes. So I got one more fight. That was it. Which which one? Pick one fight for the listeners to go and watch. Which one are you most proud of? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it probably it probably have to be the Winchester fight because okay. that was my welcome to the NHL full time moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was another double homicide that game i knocked out demers from a hit earlier jason demers friend yeah. of the show oh no yeah sorry sorry demers <laughs> not like uh i don't he was hurt he didn't come back but um and then winchester you know this was exhibition and so he i don't know why he he did it but he he kind of sprinted at me and and went to grab me and i was i was kind of put off guard and I just took a step back and he kind of missed his grab and left himself open. And Bonk. after that game, Stan Smeal, I remember gave me like a wink, like, and I was like, I knew I made it, a f- you know, for real. Cause that was my second year and we had just lost to the Bruins mm. and we, we needed to get tougher. And they brought in like Owen Nolan, Todd Fedoric, all these guys into camp. And I had that game and I, and I knew that was it. So uh, there's, there's a bunch of other good ones, but. Uh, that's probably the most impactful. It's funny, Mon. One of my yeah. favorite ones that I I watch daily is um, versus the Canucks, where I fought um, Alexander Bolduc. You and fought? Oh yeah, I remember. They <laughs> separated both his shoulders, I think, and he had a concussion. He was out for the year, I think. But I remember. I don't know if I was up. I I remember the story for sure, and everyone was just yelling at him like, "No!" Rippin was screaming, "Don't do it, Joker!" (laughs) Well, the scary thing was with we were I was with the Wild at that point, and we were up by five two, and we had Derek Bugard, right? And so Hordachuk jumps on the ice, and he's trying to, you know, fight me. Yeah, and Boogie's like, "No, you're gonna fight me." And Bugard was talk about toughest guy ever. So he grabs Hordachuk and beats him up, and Bull Duke jumps over the boards. And he's like, I have to fight you. Like, no, you don't. Like, you don't have to. And I'm like, all right, man. I, I had never heard of him before. I, I didn't know he was tough. And I just like, it was it was not good. And beat him yeah. up. And that was my first, like, kind of foray into the Vancouver. Because you guys were tough. You had a tough team. You had Rippin, yeah. yourself at a time. You had Hortichuk. You had, yeah, Bull Duke. Glasser. Tanner Glass. But all gamers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had a. That was a, I mean, people say that that first, that 2010 to 12, like that was maybe some of the best teams they ever had. Um, yeah, and it wasn't, that was when I, I mean, aside from Horty, we didn't really have like true heavyweights. You know, yeah. we could, we could play. I mean, my stats don't really show that, but, you know, we could skate and and make plays. But yeah, that was when, you know, the fourth line wasn't necessarily expected to contribute. It was kind of a bonus. 
Yeah. Whereas if you're providing energy and that sandpaper, you'll play. <laughs> Our fourth line was um, <laughs> we had Voros, we had Bugard, and we had Clutterbuck. And oh, yeah. I would jump on defense. And if we got up by three goals, the other team's tough guys were just like, gosh, yeah, what are we going to do? Like, who are we going to fight? It was, that was That was the worst, man. Like, if, if the team was, if your team was down by a few oh. goals with 10 minutes left, it's like, oh, you're like, I, I kind of have a headache from the last fight and my hands are messed. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, I'd rather not. But if I don't, Am I going to be here tomorrow? Like, that's the tough part, right? I always hated in the first period if they scored on the first, because you, you, I would get the fourth shift unless there was a penalty, then I'd get the sixth shift, seventh shift. Yeah. <laughs> if they scored early, I'm like, damn it. Oh, no. Now I got to yeah. go fight for a shift. Like, I, I haven't, I'm not even into the game. I don't want to do this. But before you could be like, sorry, man, tie game. Like, let's just get into the game. Like, let's right. go play a little bit. I would never ask because <clears throat> yeah. I wanted to play. But if, it, if I was down a goal, Son of a gun. Like now we got to go fight in your yeah. pole. And I hated doing yeah. that. I didn't like the stage fights. I like, no, I, I despise it. Tim, Tim used to fight all the time. He loved just squaring up with guys. <laughs> Tim's never yeah, thrown a totally punch me. anybody. <laughs> um, so, so I do want to ask about oh, this yeah. Canucks team. Cause I think you're the first guy we've interviewed who's part of that core. And it's probably one of the best cores the last 20 years with Luongo, Sadines and Burroughs and BX and all those guys. Um, but they never want to cut. And I, Yes, well, yeah. Patty. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I know it's hard, obviously, and and not every every team's gonna get gonna get that cup. But do you have any in, ideas or insights into why that group was never able to kind of get over that hump and and get it done? That's a good question. Uh, I mean, it was so close, right? Yeah. Um, so I was a black ace on that run. So we kind of had like our own, you know, how, how it works. I, like, I, I've been a black in, ace many times. Kind of in your own world, you're not really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. part of the team. But uh, I I don't know. Like I know guys said that there was a lot of nerves <laughs> before the game, and that might have had something to do with it. Versus the Bruins, apparently, were just you know really kept it light and treated it like any other game. So I think that could have been part of it. Uh, as a whole, I don't think there's a specific reason, really. I mean, that was a deep, deep team. Uh, it's a good league and you know, I, it's tough to win and it's, you know, it, little things can just make a difference. Like, like maybe being too nervous and that was the final straw maybe. Right. But I don't know. It could have, I think a lot of guys said that that Aaron Rome hit changed the whole series. Oh, right. I'm and it did yeah. that. Yeah. That, it changed everything. Cause we were up, I think three, one or two, one at the time. Uh, so I don't know, like, <laughs> It, you're so close. I mean, we we could have won in five or six games, and then it's a whole different, you know, conversation. So, so I don't think there's anything, any reason or anything specific as to why. But I think once Game Seven hit, there was a lot of you could feel the tension in the whole city, and I think it was maybe just too much. Uh, yeah. So I don't know how much you, you keep up with like the headlines, but but yesterday Chara shared this story, and uh, you know what I'm going to say. He he said uh, no, no. he uh, he they didn't personally see it, but on Game Six in Boston, the Canucks players were reportedly practicing and talking about how they were going to hand off the cup, and like in in oh, Boston really? they're planning on winning that night. No and they said, way! Like, I don't believe it. So, so, so I don't know so, that I, I can't say I lived in the black. So, ace. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. Sorry. And so, so the, and I guess like, like the trainers or the arena staff, like told them because they were watching the Canucks practice or something. And that was uh, yesterday. He was on some show talking about it. And BX, uh, like last night or early this morning commented like that absolutely did not happen. There's yeah. no chance. 0%. I find that hard to believe. Yeah. And I think Chara believes it. I don't I think know why I told big... him that, or uh, I don't think, I don't think he'd be one to just throw things out like that. No, right. he, but I was going to ask. I don't. That doesn't sound big. Z's the biggest dirtbag that's ever put skates on. <laughs> Just a bad human. Talk about a guy who would dunk a fight. I would ask him relentlessly. Oh, he, yeah. he picks his point. He, oh, no, you only play seven minutes. I'm like, I don't care. Still beat yeah. the doors off, Big Z. <laughs> yeah, I find that hard. Small guy. I find yes. I don't. I find that hard to believe. But again, I I didn't. Yeah. We kind of lived on the sidelines a little bit. Uh, one quick funny story with with that series so they put us black aces in boston in the stands with the wives 
Like, who drew that one up? The Bruins' wives, too, which was strange. Oh, my God. Man, like, I legit thought I was going to get in a fight with these nut jobs in Boston. Like, they were calling us and the wives every name you could imagine. And uh, I'm like, I obviously can't get in a fight with a fan, but I feel like this guy's going to come at me, and then I'm going to have no choice. It was it was bananas. People from Boston. They're crazy, but but in a good way. Like, they're the worst, but I mean, they're they're passionate passionate uh, let's to say a that fault. yeah to a fault maybe tim but, where are yeah, you from uh, i'm from boston <laughs> <laughs> oh no love it uh, <laughs> so, it was All a crazy right. ride man yeah, yeah it was whole. fun it was fun uh, it was fun to watch your career i don't want to keep you too much but the real reason you're here is you're promoting your book you're on the end of this getting close to the end of this 54 day book tour which yeah. was your number why don't you speak on that a little bit yeah, and that was a big part of why I wrote the book. I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but at the end of the day, I was like, I can help people with this and and help them, you know, tap into the power of the mind and visualization and what we're truly capable of. And the other part was to give back to the to the burn fund. Because again, like I said, you know, that burn unit is the people that work there are special people because it is not a fun place to to recover with those types of injuries. So yeah, at the end of the day, I'm like, I can give back. And so that was a big part of this fundraiser. So for the first 54 days, as of October 25th, which is so we have nine days left. And 54 was my number in Vancouver. uh, 40% of the the profits from the book. uh, It's called fighter are going back to the burn fund. So and that was from 40% second, third degree burns. So get out listeners. The book if is you, called Fighter Defying the NHL Odds, right? Yeah. Yeah. If anything, I promise you'll be entertained. Let's say that. Well, visualize all these people buying these books, Aaron, and maybe we'll, we'll do <laughs> I, some good. Yeah, that's where, hey, that's what my practice looks like now. It looks a little bit different than than playing hockey, right? But uh, it, it's not just for athletes. It can translate into anything, right? I agree. So achieve, Believe it, achieve it. Is that the, the saying, how it goes? I don't know. <laughs> you're warm. I'm not I good with that. <laughs> I, I'm not good with that kind of stuff. But anyways, is there anything else you want to touch on, Aaron or Tim, before we get out of here? I'm good. No, I think that was great. That was great, Aaron. You never know what to expect when these interviews. I, I always come in with this, like, this is going to well, suck. I'm going to be bored. Because that's it happens where you get these players on and just like, gosh, he's just like dry watching paint dry. But this was fantastic. I, I really I appreciate, appreciate it coming again. on. I think everyone's got a story, right? Yeah. Uh, Some are bad. Some are so boring. <laughs> no you're very very Uh, well spoken thanks for coming on i I appreciate it and hey all the best man going forward thank you everybody go out get his book what is it fighter defying the odds road to the nhl i butchered the title defying the nhl odds yeah yeah so go out pick what can they pick it up anywhere amazon yeah yeah amazon on my website aaronvalpatty.com um amazon's probably the yeah the bet the easiest so get it yeah. within the next part of good days cause. So you make some money yeah get some money to that burn unit it's a good stuff aaron thank you for coming on the show we appreciate it good luck with everything cheers thanks everybody. guys appreciate it thank you thanks for listening to dropping the gloves with john scott a member of the nation network of podcasts subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode delivered by doordash